Hello and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour, SB Nation's NFL podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Van Bibber, and with me today, as usual, are Stephen White and Danny Kelly. How are you guys doing today on the uh, the day of the supplemental draft here? Just waited, waiting with bated breath to find out what happens. Fantastic. It's it's always exciting. It's it's always the, the most exciting day of the of the NFL calendar, except for the other exciting days on the NFL calendar, I know. <laughs> the draft is conducted by email, so you don't get like the four hour TV special the night before <laughs> and then like the all day event on Saturday like you do in the regular entry draft. But it's then as a matter of fact, it's going on right now and we're probably gonna have like while we're discussing this, I suspect We'll see some news about a pick. We've been through the first three rounds, and nobody's been picked yet. That includes Clemson left tackle Isaiah Battle, who is probably going to be the first player picked in the supplemental draft since 2012 when the Browns took Josh Gordon, which gives you a little bit of an idea about the supplemental draft and its place in sort of the player uh player development, player entry process. Are you guys, uh, were you guys a little surprised nobody took a third round pick? I know there was some talk um, on Twitter about battle, and I know, you know, there's a huge need for left tackles or tackles in general out there. Um, Danny? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with the scarcity of good left tackles, um, you know, people always tend to take flyers on guys. I think there were I don't know, five or six first round tackles taken this year. And, um, you know, I saw that, uh, you know, people had mentioned he might be the second best tackle going into next year's draft. So that probably would put him in the first round if that, you know, held true. So, you know, it's a little bit surprising, but the supplemental draft is weird like that. You know, they don't typically, I think the value for everybody goes down quite a bit. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were pretty surprised when there was a second rounder used on Josh Gordon. Um, so I think, you know, third round, I, I was expecting, you know, if a fourth rounder gets used that that's pretty much what I was expecting. But, and then I, I kind of had an open mind for the third rounder if some team wanted to sneak ahead, you know, and, and really grab this guy, but he's still, he's got some, from everything I've read, I haven't scouted him personally, but from what I've read about him, you know, there's some question marks, he's high cut, you know, he's got, he's kind of more of a developmental guy than he's not like necessarily game ready. So. I think it makes about, it makes sense. I think we'll probably hear in the next few minutes here that he goes in the fourth, but we'll see. Well, actually, we just heard it looks like um, they are through the fourth round and nobody's been picked yet. So oh, okay. maybe, oh. maybe the fifth round. Maybe the fifth round. No. <laughs> well, that's surprising to me then. <clears throat> it is a little surprising because to me a fourth round pick is like you can – I don't know. I mean, it seems like a developmental left tackle isn't a, a reach in the fourth round, even if you're talking about this in April. I mean, Stephen, what do you think about this? Well, now, and, and you know, I, I don't like uh, passing along rumors, but uh, I think it was Matt Miller this morning that pointed out that um, while he is a developmental tackle and there's a, a lot of upside there, some of the teams don't like his off-the-field stuff. Mm. So, to me, when you have a guy with this kind of ability, uh, potential, Physical makeup, I think he's got, like, almost 36-inch arms, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. And he does go in the top four rounds. Then you have to think there's something else going on there. Yeah, and, and that's the thing with the supplemental draft is, like, why are they not? I mean, and I don't – why is Battle not in the – I mean, why is he not going back to Clemson? What's the story with that? 
Well, there was some yes. rumors that he had been kicked off the team. Right. That's what I was going to say. So. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, And then there's all rumors. about it. We'll see it. Why? Yeah. Well, and that's always, I mean, that's like the Josh Gordon thing. I mean, there was a reason he wasn't in, you know, going back to school that next year. I mean, that's sort of the, that's sort of the, the supplemental draft is usually tied to, to, you know, the guys that are, the guys that are there for a reason, you know, they're not in the, in the normal entry draft and or going back to school. So that. Yeah. So like one tight end in, in, in this supplemental draft, one tight end, he got arrested for assault, got kicked off the team. So he's in the supplemental draft. Another guy left the team after not playing. This is the cornerback. Um, so, yeah, I wonder if, like, teams look at – I don't know, Stephen, maybe you have some insight in this. I wonder if teams look at guys in the supplemental draft with a little bit of, like, you know, they're maybe a little bit more wary of the guys that go into that just because they're not taking the normal steps going into the NFL. I mean, I would think so because, like you said, just about all of those guys have a story. Now, yeah. those stories may vary, but the, the <laughs> fact that you have a story is probably never a good thing when it comes to the NFL, and particularly right. now, you know, in, in this kind of new age, new era of the NFL, where after Ray Rice, you know, they, they seem to be most teams are kind of taking a pass on guys who have a story. So, uh, but at the same time, we also go back to Josh Gordon. When you have enough talent, <laughs> just yeah. like always, that can overcome their story if the story isn't too bad. So, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I just, uh, I'm, I'm actually looking right now trying to figure out why he got kicked off the team. But I, I guess he had some discipline issues and maybe punched somebody or something. I just have to believe it has to be something off the field. You know, not saying he did something criminal or something, but it has to be something off the field to keep him out of the first four four mm-hmm. uh, rounds of this draft because everybody needs offensive linemen. Yeah. And fourth round is not really that much. A future fourth rounder, that's pretty Nothing. cheap. Yeah. No. Well, and I wonder, too, I mean, the Josh Gordon example is, is is actually kind of telling because, I mean, you know, I you, his talent, you, what he's done on the field, is absolutely was worth the first round pick when you go back and look at it just from that standpoint. But the problems and the headaches that he's been for the Browns since then aren't really worth a second round pick because you know how many games has he missed and will miss because yeah. he you know because he has those issues has had those issues that you know where he was in the supplemental draft in the first place and they haven't you know been able to kind of work with him on that in a productive way to get him around that so. Yeah, and, and I know the secondhand marijuana smoke thing's always kind of a, a, a joke, but I mean, obviously, you know, the guy's got a problem and can't stop smoking marijuana long enough to, to to get drug tested and pass a drug test. Right. Yeah, I mean, it looked like a real steal for a little while, but um, yeah, man, that, I, I, I have to think that the precedent he set there is probably, you know, in the front of people's minds when when they're doing this today. I have a question for you guys, and this is kind of along the lines of the talking about battle in the supplemental draft. Why is offense? I mean, I understand why they're. It's hard to get thirty-two good starting quarterbacks, or at least like average or above average starting quarterbacks. But why is it so hard to find? Why? Why is there such this this huge need across the league for offensive linemen right now? Well, uh, the thing that I've heard from 
uh, veteran offensive line coaches is as much as people complain about quarterbacks coming out of these spread systems mm-hmm. and not being ready for pro systems, they say it does a number on the offensive lineman almost mm-hmm. to the same extent. You know, these guys haven't actually done a real pass set, you know, in the last three or four years. Yeah. And haven't really had to face pass rushes one on one. Even the run blocking is generally different in the NFL. And so, you know, you, it's like trying to find that quarterback that's been playing in the spread, and now you're trying to fit them in a pro scheme. You just don't know. The guy might look great, um, you know, playing for Oregon, but he gets to your system and he's terrible. So you have to kind of leverage yourself and get as many good offensive linemen as you can and just hope some of them actually pan out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. I, and I, I mean, Tom Cable said that recently too and kind of caught some flack from guys in the college game. Um, you know, he kind of said the same thing. Like he has to teach guys a whole new, like the whole, their, their system. It's like starting from scratch a little bit. So, um, and I, the other thing that I was going to say is, I don't know if this is true. Steven probably has some good insight about this as well, but uh, it just seems like some of the best athletes go to the defensive end position. You know, the, the best athletes in the world, generally, those are, those are the defensive ends. And so it's just so hard to block those guys. And, and I think, you know, <clears throat> It, you know, finding a guy that's able to run block and pass block with effectiveness against those athletes is like rare. And so, you know, that's, I think just the rarity of a guy who's athletic enough and fast enough and big enough and strong enough and smart enough and all the different, you know, skills it takes to be a left tackle in this league. I think it's just, they're so rare that, you mm-hmm. know, you know, it's not something that is really easy to find. Steven. Is that, I, mean, well, I agree wholeheartedly with, with what Danny said. I mean, uh, the thing about the defensive end nowadays is uh, it used to be if a guy was, you know, 270 pounds, he probably ran like a 4'9". You yeah. got 270 pounders running four sixes now. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and some of these left tackles are getting a lot bigger too. So, you know, they're getting bigger and trying to still be quick enough to block a guy who's gotten bigger and faster. Just, you know, uh, on average. So uh, it's hard to find somebody that can do that on a consistent basis in the best uh, of situations if everybody was playing in a pro system at the college level. Yeah. Now, now you factor in, like like Danny said with uh, Tom Cable, <laughs> basically have to retrain them all the way over once you get them. Man, it's almost a crapshoot. Yeah. And, you, you know, it's interesting, too, to have seen so many of the – I mean, it's not just that – there's not enough offensive linemen going around, but like you look at some of the top tackles in recent drafts to come out that have not, that have, I mean, these are talented, talented, talented players and they're still struggling. I mean, look at Matt Khalil in Minnesota. I mean, I know Matt Khalil's had some injury issues a little bit too. So that separates him a little bit from that Matt Khalil. Um, Oh hell, who's the guy from the kid from Texas A and M in the last couple of years? Jake Matthews. Jake Matthews, Eric Fisher, the number one draft pick for the Chiefs. I mean, Greg Robinson out of Auburn, who the yep. Rams took in the first round last year, and who you know had flashes, but still is is at a point in his, his career, and it was only his first year last year, but you know, well below average at the tackle position. You know, wasn't That's even ready to start the season. I don't know. You know, Luke Jokel had some uh, tepid, uh, I guess, like first season, I think, and then obviously got hurt. But I don't think he was especially effective either. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> he surely was not. 
So, yeah, it's weird. It's an interesting, uh, like, evolution, I think, in the game in terms of, you know, this is another probably a longer conversation, but it it is kind of interesting. Like, why is the NFL and and college football system so different? Like, you know, like, why is it, I guess it's easier to teach. Uh, I I can answer that one for you right now. Okay. It's because the the NFL has an unlimited amount of time with their players, Mm. aside from all season, of course. But, like, during the season, they can have you in there for meetings, however long they need to, have you out there for practice, however long they need to. And in college, everything has to be quick because you got the 20-hour rule. So, now, yeah, you could run an NFL system, but would you have time to fully explain it to all of your guys whether they'll be able to explain it and translate it to the field by this Saturday? Probably not. But, you know, the the spread offenses – are pretty damn simple. You look yeah. at the court, you look at the uh, sideline, they tell you who to throw to. So, yeah. uh, you know, as a coach yeah. in, 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 in college football, you're not going to be like, um, what's his name for Kentucky, the, the, the basketball coach at Kentucky. You know, he said it was, it was uh, uh, his goal was to get all his players drafted this year. Yeah. Well, you can't do that as a college football coach because if you don't win, you'll be the hell up out of there in a couple of years. So, your main objective is to win. The easiest way, to, the easiest kind of offense, probably at that level to implement, is a spread, and so that's what you go with. Yeah. Hey, so sorry to interrupt, but Isaiah Battle for the Rams in the fifth round. Oh, <laughs> oh! it is. Oh my God! Unbelievable. Now, and that's a team that's not surprising because that's a team that has literally. The whole offense. Now think about where the Rams are. The mandate to compete that they have. The way that you would think they would have. They don't really have it. The word <laughs> is. Un, I mean, the word is through back channels that Jeff Fisher is about to get an extension after wow. three oh, yes. wonderful <laughs> seasons of uh, of seven and nine football and six and ten football in St. Louis. But they have two experienced starters on their offensive line this year. Two two guys that have played or made more than one NFL start. And one of them is Greg Robinson, who's, you know, in his second year and didn't start a full season last year. The other one's Roger Saffold, who's a pretty good offensive lineman from Indiana, drafted in the second round in 2010, but is a guy that's just struggled through injuries and, and doesn't have too many 16-game seasons under his belt. So, I mean, there's a good indication of why they're drafting Isaiah Battle in the supplemental draft. And How many and, did they get the year, this year? Like seven offensive linemen? They drafted four. Yeah, and now a fifth. And now a fifth. Wow, that's pretty crazy. And no, not in, but no first rounders. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what? They might be looking at the Cowboys because yeah. uh, the Cowboys invested heavily in their offensive line through the draft. I think they have what three draft picks starting now. Yeah. And you see what they did last year. I mean, I thought that was the smartest thing the Cowboys have done in probably the last two decades. So, yeah. uh, you know, Jeff Fisher is kind of that old school guy. He probably thinking the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, when you're going to run the ball on third and 12, that's what <laughs> you got to have an offensive lineman in there. But, you know, <laughs> and it's smart, too, because you look at what, what a difference that made for the Cowboys last year. When all that finally yeah. came together for the Cowboys, it, it, it made a huge difference. Now, the, Dallas also has the advantage of, you know, you got Tyrone Smith, who's sort of an all-world left tackle. And then you got Doug Free, who's a pretty dang good right tackle, veteran guy, pretty good, pretty dang good right tackle. And then 
my God, they got Lyle Collins this year too, and they won that and all that, the the other additions they made over the last couple of years. But, yeah, that's a huge difference for them, and I think that's why, you know, you look at they were able to let the league's, you know, leading rusher walk away in free agency. Yeah, that was quite that was a little, quite a bit of restraint there shown by them. That was kind of impressive, actually, almost. Yeah, it's like it's, somebody took Jerry Jones's hand off the trigger there. I don't <laughs> yeah. Know quite what's going on there but uh but no so there we go you got battle to the rams in the fifth round um and if the rams recent history of rookie development is any indication isaiah battle will probably be uh in oakland in a couple years so (laughs) (laughs) uh, this isn't the Rams cynical podcast hour this is the nfl (laughs) podcast hour you can tune into that at 10 o'clock tonight i host it by myself nobody (laughs) listens to it um all right. Well, okay. That's so, so. There we go. Let's. Uh, the other big story this week is uh, the Fourth of July fallout from Jason Pierre-Paul, who uh, who now has one less finger on his hand after uh, after apparently getting into some fireworks trouble over Fourth of July weekend with the literally the U-Haul van full of fireworks that he bought to celebrate the to celebrate America's independence. Wow. Um, are you guys a little, I mean, have you, have you seen anything like this, Steven, in, in umpteen years of watching the NFL? I've not seen it with NFL players, but I've yeah. seen it a lot <laughs> with regular people. Yeah. Uh, both growing up and, and, and even living here in Tampa, we shoot off a lot of fireworks here as well. Um, you know, accidents happen. You, you, you play with explosive materials, which is what most, uh, fireworks are. You know, there's bound to be yeah. some 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 accidents, whether it's negligence or you know, maybe the 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 uh, firework itself was defective. It's just you know, it's kind of a, a law of averages thing. So, I guess it's like anything else. Sooner or later, it was going to catch up to an NFL player or or a professional athlete of any sports. Yeah, and and when the, what makes this so much more in like uh, such a more complicated situation is. Uh, Pierre Paul was scheduled to be a free agent this year. The Giants uh, hit him with the franchise tag. He hasn't signed it yet. They had a low ball offer on the table, but I mean, it wasn't the offer that it wasn't an offer that he would. They pulled it, but it wasn't an offer that he was going to sign anyway. It was a six. It was like, I can't remember the years, but it was a sixty million dollar offer, and it, you know, it just not even close to what the going rate for pass rushers who can produce like him. Mm-hmm. You know, so it wasn't like he was going to sign that contract, but it's been, it's become this weird situation where like the giants sent people down to see him. They weren't allowed to see him. They didn't get to meet with him and they don't have to because he's technically not on that team right now because he hasn't signed the franchise tender. So he had the finger amputated because if he'd gone the other route and done all those skin grafts that we know about now, because Adam Schefter shared his uh, medical records on Twitter last night. <laughs> which is probably a, a separate point we'll get to here in a bit, but he'll be recovered and can get on the field faster. I guess I'm kind of wondering, is this, I mean, you, you guys think he's still going to sign a long-term deal? I mean, it looks like it's inevitable that he'll at least play under the franchise tag this year, but do you think this is a, is the well poisoned for the giants and the and JPP going forward? I think you have to you have to wonder how big of a difference it'll make to not have your index finger. Isn't that kind of like your dominant finger? I don't know how much you know, I, I like I've talked about how important hand use is and hand violence and all that. Yeah. I don't necessarily know how important fingers are in that. You know, mostly um 
I think a lot of defensive linemen tape up their fingers a lot anyway, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it has a big difference. <clears throat> I only kind of, we had a defensive lineman around to ask no, about it, that. Yeah, exactly. Like Steven, <laughs> how important is a finger to a, a, a four, three defensive end like JPP? Well, it just kind of depends. It, it, obviously there's going to be some things that he's limited at doing. Like, uh, for instance, grabbing uh, the offensive lineman's jersey and trying to pull it uh, while you're executing a pass rush move. Uh, it's kind of like a pull and swim. Uh, now, here's the thing. Do we even know that, that that's one of JPP's moves? I don't really think it is. He more so, you know, even though he's kind of a, a, a long, lanky guy, he relies a lot on power. You know, he, he's got some explosive power in his hips, and he's quick off the ball. And so, you know, he can speed around guys or he can get them off balance and go right up under their chin. And for that, you only really need the heel of your hands. Mm-hmm. You don't really need your fingers. Mm-hmm. So, but but how would that even feel? Like, you know, I'm sitting up here ever since last night. Hey, I'm thinking, what if my finger was gone? Like, how would that feel trying to play football and push another guy out of the way, missing a finger, a finger you've had up until now in your life? I just don't know. I think that'll be probably the biggest thing. How soon can he get over that weird feeling of, you know, being used to doing all this stuff with your finger and now that finger is missing? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because, yeah, it's going to be weird. I mean, this is, like, not even remotely similar, but I broke my hand in high school, and so they kind of, like, had to readjust the bone a little bit, and it, like, made one of my fingers shorter than the other ones. And it's, like, rotated slightly. And even that is, like, weird. Like, it's, like, it bangs into my other fingers, and it's kind of, like, awkward at times. You know, I got used to it over the years, but I think it's going to be a little bit weird. Like, I mean, obviously, like, if you looked at, if you're if you're able to stomach some gross pictures and you look at the ray resection or whatever they call it um, of what they did, it's essentially they take his finger off at the bone and then uh, reattach, you know, whatever. So it's like he looks like a Ninja Turtle sort of now, like with like the three fingers. And so I don't know. It's going to be weird. <laughs> I, I was kind of joking the other day that you know, maybe he was trying to just like get the finger lopped off real quick and, and then go and report to camp and hope no one noticed that it was gone. You know? It's like, it just wear gloves all the time. Yeah, you know? off stuff, you stuff that finger or the glove and just wear gloves. Nobody will know. Yeah. Because Can't so shake weird. hands though, you know. It's, it's been so weird how he's been, uh, you know, like not letting the Giants come see him. I, I understand that it's probably from like a, you know, you don't want to affect the future contract situation by like having them think it's way worse or way, you know, whatever. Like, I understand that point of view, but it's been weird, just the fact that they went down there and he wouldn't let them come see him, you know. So, anyway, it, yeah, that's that's an interesting situation. We should probably not forget about, uh, you know, C.J. Wilson also lost yeah. several fingers, I think. Yep. And so, you know, he's kind of flown under the radar because JPP, but what are the odds that two NFL players, I've never even heard of any NFL player getting hurt with fireworks, and then here we go having two loose fingers over. In the same year. It's yeah. crazy. It, it, I mean, it, it really is. And look, I used to shoot off fireworks. I, I'm not even going to lie about it. So there but for the <laughs> grace of God, you know, I'm just glad that nothing ever happened to me. I can't really, I know a lot of people are rushing to judge both of those kids. Um, and, and I understand that. I get it. People feel like you make X amount of money you're supposed to protect yourself. But most of these guys, man, they've never walked around, you know, on eggshells. That's what's gotten them to the league in the first place is that they 
you know, have this kind of fearless spirit about them. Yeah. So you, you just don't think about potentially getting hurt doing something you've probably done ever since you you, you, you could walk around. Yeah. So, I, you know, I feel for both of those guys. Now, <clears throat> um, I will say, uh, I saw somebody yesterday say that what was actually going on with JPP not letting the Giants see him was he's actually been in a whole bunch of surgeries this whole time. Like, this was evidently the sixth surgery uh-huh. when they removed his finger. So, make- yeah, so, it, you know, while his family or his representatives may have presented it to the team like, oh, he doesn't want to see y'all, maybe they were really just trying to cope the fact that he was going through all these surgeries. Yeah, right. Well, because skin grafts, I think, take a – it's quite a few operations. It's a big deal, yeah. It's a yeah. huge deal. So that makes sense. And, and too, I mean, you know, with the franchise situation, and that's not always – I mean, you know, you can see that. Uh, you see it every year with the franchise tag. There's always a little bit of animosity between a player and a team when, you know, the franchise tag comes out like that. I mean, it's, it's just – it's sort of natural. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a natural consequence of that whole system and that process in there. So this is sort of – I mean, you have to think of it from JPP and his agent's perspective. This is part of the – you know, the negotiation process is now affected by a fireworks injury and, and how they go forward with that and what happens to his hand and how they deal with it and how the, I mean, that's why it made so much sense when they revealed why he was getting his finger amputated because it's, it's less serious of a thing and get back on the field faster. In fact, now there's a chance he'll be back for week one of the season. And I think that makes you know, if you're him, that's you're in a much better place for uh, you know for contract negotiations than you are if you're coming into the season and you may miss the first four games because you're having a skin graft. You know. Yeah, exactly. And it's so a- that, but then that raises the other question that comes out of this. And I know we have a large <laughs> part of our listenership who tune in every week to hear us talk about medical privacy laws. <laughs> so we definitely want to get to the HIPAA implications here, but. Uh, you know the the HIPAA thing came the HIPAA thing came up yesterday because obviously as we mentioned earlier somebody Schefter got a hold of JPP's medical records in the incident with this with, the, with regards to the amputation and uh, shared it on ESPN and shared it via Twitter and that's kind of a no no I mean now there's some confusion because HIPAA rights with NFL players aren't like they are for the rest of us because of the collective bargaining agreement they have to waive a certain amount of their HIPAA rights because of you know, injury, you know, to their team so that the team has the injury information about a player. But that doesn't give, you know, a hospital worker or, you know, somebody that's walking by the hallway in the hospital and, and sees a picture of the chart hanging on the wall to tweet a picture of it or whatever. Like, they could still face a fine for that. But then there's always that, you know, so you have that question of, was Adam Schefter wrong to tweet that stuff out? Was he wrong to share that? Do you guys think that they should have just you know, he could have reported that without sharing the medical records themselves. I think, I mean, he, he definitely has the clout and, you know, credibility to have just told us what happened. (laughs) You know, he didn't necessarily need to tweet that picture. And I think that's kind of what a lot of people were annoyed about. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously the whole HIPAA thing is a big deal when it comes to like the hospital and the worker, you know, it's like they, it feels like I think they he was still in surgery while Schefter tweeted that photo. So it's like whoever like sent him that photo was maybe still in that room, <laughs> which is a little weird to think about, you know. And so and I I know that the records and the computers and all that are really controlled access, so they may be able to find out who did it. 
Um, but I think just, you know, I wasn't like outraged necessarily by it, but I thought, you know, probably could have gone, you know, it would have been just as effective if he had just like told us that he got a finger amputated per source, you know, like he didn't really need to tweet the actual medical information. Yeah. I, so I guess then my next question from that is like, if, if he did that and we, you know, the, you take away the, the black and white and the gray areas of, of sharing that information was that, I mean, where'd the leak come from? Who, I mean, who would have leaked it? Do you think it was just somebody that, you know, uh, the orderly I guess, shot yeah. it out to Schefter because he was palling and palling, prowling around the front door of the hospital or. Well, here's the thing, and this is just my theory about this whole situation. First of all, I, I was pretty outraged and, and still am about I'm tweeting a picture out <clears throat> just because, you know, having been a, a, a player, I understand that there are certain things that you give up in order to get, you know, the wealth and the fame that comes with playing football. But something so personal as, like, your medical records, to me, man, just seems like it's crossing the line. And not just the whole HIPAA thing, which I understand is more aimed at the facility than it is the reporter because of First Amendment rights. And, of course, you know, being a writer now, I have much greater appreciation for uh, uh, what writers do and how they do it than I ever have before in my life. But at the same time, I just feel like there are some lines yeah. you don't right. really need to cross unless it's necessary. Like, what was absolutely necessary about tweeting that yeah. out when you're Adam Schefter and you have a million followers and everybody believes whatever you say if you post it on Twitter to the point that people get caught by your, you know, these parody accounts of you because yeah. everybody just assumes if it's you, then it's true. Yeah. There was like, if there was an absolute reason or need to tweet that photo, I think I could understand better, but I just don't see the absolute need in that at all. And no. so I do hope that, that um, JPP uh, seeks some recourse. And when you think about it, you, you think about the motivations of people. Like some people are like, well, maybe JPP's people put it out. Maybe the Giants put it out. And I'm looking at what would be any of these people's motivation. The only thing I can come up with is, you know, th this story got broken by like, <laughs> I'm not going to call him a nobody. I, I don't mean it that way, but somebody who wasn't really well known. Yeah. Right. A uh, radio guy, I think, down in, in, in South Florida. And so I think, you know, TMZ and, and, and uh, all these other blogs or whatever, they usually pay for this kind of information. We're playing catch up. So I, I just wonder if, you know, one of these hospital workers figuring, they were going to get a big payday, took the picture so that, you know, maybe they could sell it to TMZ or something. Yeah. And, and who knows how it got in Schefter's uh, possession after that. Yeah, well, and, uh, you know, we've seen that a couple times before where somebody has a, a something like that, a photo, uh, you know, a photo. I think it was maybe a uh, – I, I think the example I'm thinking of specifically was maybe a, a celebrity nude photo. But, it, you know – and not to, you know, not to dismiss it or anything like that, but because, you know, somebody had shopped this around and nobody would buy it. I think dead somebody, damn it, I can't think of a specific example, but they had shopped it to Deadspin and some other outlets. Nobody would pay for it. So they went to, you know, they just went to any old place that would take it, you know, and run it without paying them for it. And, you know, you have, you have that. And, and the thing is, is the slippery slope is like, you can look at this and say, well, it's just a finger amputation. It's not, you know, it's not his, you know, 
it's not a nude photo or anything like that from his iCloud account or anything, but it's that slippery slope of, you know, we don't, if, if you're encouraging people to share private medical records that they have access to that they're not supposed to share, that they're legally and morally bound not to share, where do you, you know, where does it go? I mean, one day it's, it's JPP's finger and the next day it's, you know, some, the, the, something from somebody's personal life that just destroys them. You know, it's just not, it's a slippery slope and it's, it, it's an uncomfortable thing from a media perspective to have to kind of start to deal with that and think about it. I mean, like you did, and like Danny said earlier, you could have, Schefter could have reported the amputation part of that story without the medical record or anything. And Hey, people would have taken it as fact, you know, as the mm-hmm. gospel of Adam Schefter and, and bam, that'd have been it. You know, everybody and their dog would have been reporting on that from there. So I think setting this precedent too is kind of it, from the player's point of view. It's like, how are you ever going to trust going to a hospital? You know, all these, like if you ever had some personal issue that you had to take care of and you're like looking at all these hospital employees, like, Hey, are you going to tweet out like what I'm doing here? Yeah. You know, that sucks. That's like kind of a, a crappy precedent to set in terms of, you know, if there's some line like in in journalism that's set in terms of like we're just not going to share this stuff, like you know that that's the sort of ethics you have to think about. And I think it makes sense to draw that line just because then you have then you have like the question like what if some guy in the off season goes into the hospital for some issue that's not even career threatening and like someone tweets it out and it becomes this huge deal and you know I just that that kind of stuff just icky or you know it's just doesn't it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, well, and it's and then too with the reporting thing with Schefter, when Schefter does it, it's sort of like you know, in the minds of a lot of people, it makes it okay. Whereas if TMZ did that, you'd have you'd have a little. Yeah. Some people would say like, eh, TMZ's kind of icky. I don't like that. I mean, I'm not gonna we're not gonna do that. Oh, but Schefter did it, so let's let's fire it away. Do it. Send it yeah. on out there. Let's do it. Because TMZ is like peddler, like news peddling, where where Schefter is like a you know highly respected journalist reporter you know so it's like a little bit different it's a hit for sure and uh speaking of people's intimate personal records um tom brady whose (laughs) cell phone records are of great interest to the nfl we could be getting it we could or could not be as it were getting a decision on uh on the brady appeal soon Uh, maybe next week maybe not it was first reported that uh Goodell told CNBC that they could have a decision next week. But then uh, you watch the entire audio clip of CNBC and Goodell. It's like, he's like, well, we'll have it sometime. It could be, they said next week. He goes, I don't know, maybe. It wasn't really any sort of definite comfort. This is sort of like, you know, when my son asked me, he's like, am I going to get to play Xbox today? I don't know, maybe. We'll see what happens. (laughs) it's, It's something along those lines. So it's not really... You know, I don't sit on your hands and wait for the NFL to release the Brady appeal decision next week because it may or may not happen. Um, are, what's a reasonable time frame for this, you guys? What do you think, Stephen? Well, I mean, have we even gotten the Greg Hardy decision yet? No, we're still waiting because on that too, and that's over. That might actually five be weeks. even more egregious at this point, especially when he's been, you know, he's been suspended for like ten games. Yeah, yeah, you know, he he used to make some arrangements probably on his mortgage and stuff (laughs) based on how this whole appeal comes down. So, uh, you know, you would hope 
that, you know, two, three weeks will be plenty enough time. I mean, what are you doing? What are you reviewing? It's not like they brought all these tons, tons of new uh, exhibits for evidence yeah. during this hearing. What, what are you doing all this time other than just sitting back and laughing in your office? I, I don't get it. <laughs> and it's not fair. I mean, and, and this is where the Players Association makes this point, and 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 it doesn't it's it doesn't get brought up enough, in my opinion. But it's it's the due process of this, the player discipline system that the NFL uses. It's just like you know, why is the NFL allowed to sit on a decision that impacts this guy's livelihood? And when set aside what Hardy did, whether it's you know as as gross as those police reports may be. You know, set aside that fact because everybody's due process. Everybody's entitled to the the same system of justice applied fairly to everybody, whether that's the Constitution or whether that's a labor agreement between, you know, workers and, and their employers. It's, you know, you've you're you're using that. The NFL is using that as a tool to kind of wear down these players, you know, by forcing them as like, well, if you hold this decision long enough, you take away their power to fight it any further. And I don't know if that's specifically what the NFL is doing or not, but from a union perspective, you could look at it and say, well, this isn't fair because now if they uphold the decision and we have, we think we have the grounds to fight it in court, we don't have time to do it because then he's going to miss the season anyway. And you saw this with AP. You saw this with Ray Rice last year. You saw it with, you know, you're you're probably going to see it with Tom Brady too, and that's a and I think that's why the union's probably so eager to fight on the Brady thing because it's a a marketable star whose crime is a vague, you know, deflating footballs on the field as opposed to something that you know it's hard for people to kind of rally behind a domestic violence or you know a switching incident or whatever. Yeah, and it's like Goodell's a sandbag instead of a bitch, but um, the the other thing is like. It kind of affects the team too, you know. Like, well, yeah. You think that the owners and the coaches and would be rallying for a, like quicker resolution as well, just because they have to figure out, you know, what they're doing, what they're doing at that position. When, like, if they need to sign someone else to fill that role, or if it's going to be reduced, they th- so they don't think they need to sign someone. That kind of thing, like, so they can start planning the roster. I think that's something they need to. You know, that kind of hurts the team as well. Do you, you think it's awkward for Goodell and Kraft at this uh, billionaire's summer camp they're attending this week? <laughs> I would think so, yeah. You know, uh, uh, Robert Kraft is just dinging him every time he gets a chance, especially since Roger Goodell is way more wealthy. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, Robert Kraft is way more wealthy than Roger Goodell. So <laughs> right now he's probably like, you know, the pledge uh, – uh, uh, in a fraternity. He, he's probably oh, yeah. to run all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Getting him coffee and shit. Yeah, give me some coffee. Why is my lemonade? <laughs> That's actually interesting because, like, okay, this is this, and we had discussed this on the email thread to set up the, the pod today, but, like, it's this conference in, in, in Sun Valley, Idaho, which is like a ski place in Idaho. And, and anytime there's a ski place, you know, there's rich people involved in it. But it's... <laughs> um. It's a, I guess it's like a summit conference type thing that the Allen, Allen and company do that's sort of like media and tech. So like Mark Zuckerberg's there and, you know, the, the tech, tech billionaires and those people. But also you've got Kraft, Goodell, and then Stan Kroenke's there too. The Rams owner Stan Kroenke's there who's in the process of lobbying Goodell and the league to, uh, to, to let him go to L.A. So I'm sure that that's a... 
makes for an interesting dynamic. And, you know, maybe every time Robert Kraft tells Goodell to go get coffee, Goodell says to Stan Kroenke that, hey, if you want to go to this L.A. thing, maybe you ought to go get Robert Kraft that double latte. He's won. Sounds like True Detective Season 3 right here. Yeah, exactly. It'd probably be better than Season 2, too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Hey, we're we're not here to talk TV criticism. Yeah, don't go there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um... Uh, the NFL top 100 wrapped up last night. Uh, I guess J.J. Watt is the best player in the league. Aaron Rodgers is close behind at number two. Do you guys uh, – I mean, is this just – I mean, the top 100 thing, pure entertainment value. I mean, we're not, obviously. Yeah. I have a question. Like, have they ever figured out who actually votes for this? Like, has it actually ever been, like, disclosed exactly who votes for this? It's always, like, really it's vague. Been a contention for a long time. Yeah. And they still haven't uh, really, you know, came out and said how they pick who votes or whatever. Because there's still, right. like, every year there'll be guys that say, I didn't vote on this. I still never voted on this. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really notice it this much, uh, um, um, that much this year, though. I, I didn't really notice, like, anybody tweeting it this year as they've done in years past. Yeah. But you never hear anybody say, oh, I was glad to vote for J.J. Watt. I believe he is the best player in the league. You know what I mean? It's like you right. think you'd hear some of that, too. Right. Or at least somebody, because, of course, right after it, it's uh, announced, everybody's kind of like, no, this is wrong. Aaron yeah. Rodgers should have been it. And even to the point where J.J. Watt himself said that Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. He probably should be number one. But there's nobody really, you know, coming out and making the case. You would think that if they did vote, J.J. Uh, Watt, number one, there'd be somebody kind of vociferously arguing the point that, you know, he's more impactful than uh, Aaron Rodgers. But mostly it's just been people, you know, saying they, they had the, 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 the order messed up. Yeah. It's always, it's just that it's couched in this. I swear to God, I think the Broward County, Florida election board is running that thing. The NFL <laughs> Network. I don't know. And there's hanging chads and shit like that going on here. There's got to be something. You know, at the top 100 right now, and I guess the interesting thing of it, and because I, I was talking about yesterday, it's kind of a hype-based uh, list. You know, like a couple years ago, <clears throat> they had that one Ravens kick returner on the top 100. I can't remember. Uh, Jacoby Jones. Yeah. Was I was just like, what the hell? But then I remembered, like, he had just been in the Super Bowl or whatever. And so um, it's like I'm looking at DeMarco Murray's number four overall, which is – Seems a little high. He jumped 83 spots in one year. And I'm like, uh, that just seems a little weird. And so, like, if you're looking at the – I think the, the more interesting thing to look at is, like, the change from one year to the next. Jordy Nelson jumped 65 spots. And then, uh, you know, Vaughn Miller, Tony Romo jumped a bunch. Tyron Smith. Brent Grimes at 38 jumped 57 spots. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, to me it's not really that interesting of a list because there's no – uh, like, you know, you can't. You know, we don't know who voted for it, and so it doesn't really mean that much to me. But um, I think overall it's relatively accurate. But there's always one or you know, there's always a few guys that you can argue are way too high or way too low. And I think Demarco Murray would be one of them for me, just because he's above Marshawn Lynch, which I'm obviously biased, but I think that's a little <laughs> bit silly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like PFT Commerce says, you're only as good as your last play, Danny. 
<laughs> Were you guys? Did you see the Marshawn Lynch biopic? Is uh, his cancel? He he pulled yeah. the plug on it. And just a little plug for us, like we actually that was a broken that was broken by one of our writers, Kenneth Arthur, who also writes for Rolling Stone. He talked to uh, Mario Bobino, who is the director of the movie, and we actually chatted with him for about forty five minutes yesterday. That's up on Field Goals right now. The interview with him, and he's kind of you know he talked about how the whole thing went down, like what happened with the you know the agent got involved. Mark uh, Mark Hendrickson, I think his name is. Um, you know, Lynch's got involved. agent. Yeah, Lynch's agent, right? And then kind of nixed the whole thing. And he talks about the whole, like, how it all went down. Essentially, it was a big shock to Bobino, the the director, that it got pulled because <laughs> along the way they had done all this like stuff, and no one had ever objected to anything. And so then all of a sudden they got they it, it got nixed. And so, anyways, it's it a pretty interesting interview. So if you want to hear more about that, go to Field Goals. <laughs> well, here's my question for you guys. Had you had either you guys? Did you see that? Because the, the, they had the trailers during the Super Bowl. Yeah, we saw the trailer. I we and I and I know that Kenny he tried to get access to watch the whole movie, but they wouldn't let him. I I after seeing the trailer, I can kind of understand why maybe they wouldn't want to let anybody see the movie. Yeah, and you know, and Bobino, the director, talked about how you know none of that had been color corrected or you know gone through final editing and all that so it's like that was kind of the blunder he says that he he released that without you know vetting it with everybody and i think that kind of like was what led to them deciding you know obviously they all saw the movie so maybe it was just bad and they didn't want to release it but it's a bummer because marshawn lynch i guess did a whole bunch of acting and and was really intense in a lot of scenes and it told the whole story of his life his brother was in it marshawn lynch's brother was played him as a younger guy um, his mom was in it, and so it looked it seemed like it'd be a really interesting story, but who knows what happened and it, it was a it's pretty interesting just like behind the scenes in terms of what goes on with the agent and then <clears throat> they had a a guy who funded the movie who uh this director th- does not think very highly of and and so it was just uh <laughs> it was an interesting like look at the politics in terms of like you know the Make what, it a movie. Yeah, what goes on around star players in the NFL and like, you know, the rights and, and everything. So it was interesting. That yeah, that that sounds like it. It's more. I mean, that that, that might be if they could make a movie out of that. That's really that might be the that might be the Oscar winner right there. He actually is making a movie about <laughs> his making of the movie. I'm not yeah, you know, not even kidding. That's the next project. <laughs> so that you know. He, I think he's already written the screenplay, and they're, they someone picked it up, and so now they're making the movie of the making of the movie. Man, so it's like uh, real life. That's meta as fuck, right there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be the name. <laughs> I mean, hey, that's pretty dope. <laughs> a pretty dope name, meta as fuck. <laughs> I should copy. I'm gonna copyright that as soon as we're done with this. <laughs> I, I you, gotta get paid, man. And if you remember last year, do it before the podcast. Goes that's right. That's right. <laughs> get on the horn. Get on the horn. Whoa! You know, this, they, uh... they talked about the you know last year when the huge thing would happen with Marshawn Lynch's Lamborghini being roped off. Mm-hmm. You know, you remember that? That was for this movie. That was like Bobino, the director. Ed, he was the one who did that, and um, 
you know, it went viral because everyone assumed Lynch was like roping off his car whenever he goes and parks. Right, it. it went viral. It was amazing. <laughs> but uh, I guess it was it was actually the movie people who did that. But still, it's still a funny story because you know you can just imagine Lynch doing that. I just remember that because like there was some Florio take on that that was all like indignant oh, I, about. It was super duper nuclear. Take yeah, on it. of course, of course. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think it was like, back when you know everybody want you know some people wanted to say that maybe. Marshawn Lynch was going to fall off last year, and maybe he was, you know, going to be over the hill. So I can't remember exactly what he said, but I remember it being just like rare Florio. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, got, I would, like, uh, I would <laughs> like to live in a world where Marshawn does rope off his Lamborghini everywhere he goes. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, evidently, Ray McDonald has been charged with felony false imprisonment in Santa Clara County. Oh, shit. It just came down the timeline. Uh, he has, he's not there's he's not coming back to the NFL ever. No, no. I mean, it's amazing that the Bears have, have kind of largely escaped scrutiny except for the first couple of days uh for signing them. You know, that, yeah. that, that kind of, it was everybody was upset for a couple of days and then that fizzled out fast. And especially when you know when you look back at the owner's comments too during that thing, it's like we can't talk to the victim. They're not gonna. They can't trust what they have to say. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, those quotes are so fucked up. You know, like like the victim was actually the perpetrator. Yeah. You know, they have bias. Of course they do, because he fucking did something to them. <laughs> yeah. Do they might want justice <laughs> for that? I mean, you know, it's crazy to think about. Them being upset that somebody did something violent to them. The nerve. That was just, man. I I mean, maybe this brings it back up. Maybe this brings us kind of back to the forefront right before camp. Who knows? It should. I mean, you know, that was just, I mean, and it's, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But that's. Wasn't that owner on like the new domestic violence? uh, Yeah. 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 Uh, he was one of the chair people for that committee. So yeah, they definitely should come back up now. I yeah. Hope. I mean he was one of the ones that like helped hire you know, they went out and hired um I can't Lisa Friel and, and like the uh, you know, when they brought in the kind of the 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 vice presidents and the other people to kind of oversee that, you know, the stuff in the wake of the Ray Rice decision. But it's just <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, and, and, to, and, to, and to having talked to one of those people with Sarah Kogod for that piece about the domestic violence training that they were doing with the players, to hear how, how understaffed and rushed and hectic that whole effort is. Like, they had to do all this training in a short amount of time, and they had to kind of cram it all into an hour, everything from child abuse to sexual abuse to sexual assault all you know all in a one hour window man it's just like mm. whew. that's because those are some pretty meaty issues to squeeze into an hour i'll tell you yeah. that yeah well let's let's move on um i don't want to get get bogged down in the league politics too much here but uh um speaking of off-season stuff uh Halati Ngata's comment recently about having, I've never been a part of a defense like this with Detroit. I think some people kind of maybe took that at first. You know, you, you saw that as this that typical sort of off-season hubris about this is the best team ever, you know, our goal is the Super Bowl and nothing else kind of stuff. But, Stephen, actually, you made a really good point in our email thread back and forth about, you know, that he actually, there is some substance to his comments here. 
Right. Um, because, and, and I know some people, even in this reading of it, will kind of, you know, think it wrong. You know, this is the first time he's playing in a, what we would like to call a fast flow 4-3 defense. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, immediately some Ravens fans will be like, well, yeah, he played in a 4-3 at first. Yeah, but when he got to the Ravens and they were running a 4-3, I think, uh, their defensive tackles weren't meant to get up the field and rush the passer. They were meant to hold up the blockers so that Ray Lewis could run free and make all the tackles. And he did a great job of that. But now what he's doing in Detroit is going to be quite a bit different. And, of course, the last few years he's even been in a 3-4, which is totally different. But, but playing uh, uh, the, the way that um, the Lions play a 4-3 defense, he's going to be asked as a three technique to get up the field, rush the passer, uh, uh, knock the run back uh, when, there's, when there's, you know, runs that like uh, those, those uh, zone runs. Mm-hmm. He's going to be uh, kind of called upon to make that cut back uh, uh, to, to, to the weak side, uh, so to speak. Whereas before, and he's going to be called on to make a lot more tackles probably than he's ever made in his career. Because, you know, it's a one-gap defense with the ball running in your gap. That's your job to get it rather than holding up the offensive linemen so the linebackers can make the tackle. So uh, it's quite a bit different for him. And because of that, of course, he's playing with guys that are physically a bit different too. Yeah. You know, he's used to playing against big 320-pound guys, and now you got Karan Reed, who's more of a, you know, svelte 300-pounder, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as I will put it. And, and you know, a, a guy athletic like uh, Ezekiel Ansah and, and, and I think uh, Jason Jones on the other side, those are a bit different from, from the, the type of players he was playing with in Baltimore. So, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people – immediately, you know, either thought he was saying he never played on 4-3 or a lot of people went a little bit overboard and thought he was saying he's never played on a defense this good, you know, like, you know, just totally dismissing all the great defenses he played uh, on in Baltimore. And I think that's the furthest thing from the truth. You know, that's not Haloti Nata. I, I, I don't think he's a guy that's going to, you know, give in to hyperbole that way. I just think he was saying that, this is a little bit different from what he's been asked to do uh, for the rest of his career. I find it hard to believe that his words were twisted and so would sell advertise or sell advertising. That's just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know, it's interesting too, because uh, the difference in that defense, because Terrell Austin and Terrell Austin just did an outstanding job. I mean, talk about coaches that don't get enough credit. I mean, we're, it's easy to dump on coaches that are bad, but man, what Austin did with that defense, I know he had talent there too, but, you know, what Austin did with that defense in Detroit last year was, I mean, talk about 100. I mean, that was <laughs> that was a hell of a unit. I mean, that's really, I think they won, you know, for all the emphasis on, on Caldwell and Stafford, I think that, you know, that Detroit's defense is probably gets, should get more credit than it did for, for Detroit's overall record at the end of the season. Their run defense. And he's from Baltimore. I mean, comes from Baltimore. He's a Baltimore defensive coach. Yeah, the the Lions' run defense was like they were really close to setting the record for lowest yards per carry uh, by you know the opposing offenses all year. It was something ridiculous, like in the twos, I think. You know, so they they shut down the run like all year. So that's and that's huge. You know that that that's very impressive. They they were arguably, 
you know, as good of a defense as Seattle or, or the Bills or, you know, whoever. They were very, very good. Yeah, and I think that's going to be an interesting team to watch this year, too. I mean, if, especially if you start to see, you know, if the <clears throat> offense, you know, if you get some more, if you get some, I yeah. know the offense was bad, but if you get, you know, the expected improvement that they hired Caldwell for with Stafford to work with Stafford for in the first place, then I think that's a, I mean, that's a team to watch. I mean, you know, that, yeah. that, I think that'll be an interesting division overall this year that NFC North because the Vikings are going to be much better too. I mean, at least on paper, they're going to be much better because you got AP back and Teddy's second year. It'll be better in his Teddy's second year, but. I'm uh, I'm kind of looking forward to what they do, and then of course they'll be so good that Terrell also will get hired away as a head coach somewhere, and then yeah. they'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Same old Lions. We'll well we'll see. We'll see. This is July. It's not the time to be pessimistic. All right. I don't I don't want to I don't want to hang up on you guys before we mention the Des Bryant and the Cowboys. It looks like they're kind of talking about contract again, which is good news because they've got until July fifteenth. To uh to agree to a long term deal, or else you know um, anticipate maybe the threat of a, a holdout to start the regular season from Bryant uh, over the franchise tag. You think this gets done, Stephen Danny? I, I think so, I, I, and I'll tell you why. Because I, I don't think the Cowboys would have restarted negotiations if they weren't trying to seriously sign him before the season starts. Yeah. And look, they know what he wants. So if they felt like, you know, there's no way they were going to come to an agreement, they would have just, you know, kind of been quiet the whole way through. What's the use of wasting your time, quote, unquote, negotiating if, if you know there's no chance of signing the guy? And right now, you've got all of the Cowboys fans' expectations up sky high that you're going to get this done before next Wednesday, I think. Yeah. So uh, you don't do that knowing that if it goes south, the fans are not going to be pleased at all. A lot of people are already mad that, you know, it seems like the Cowboys are dragging their feet on this in the first place. So I don't think they would restart negotiations if they weren't really, really motivated and serious about trying to get them signed. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree. I was like, and we talked about this before in more depth. It's a no-brainer. Like, just, the, I, the, I know, you know, you don't want to always just, like, point to logic because teams don't always deal with logical. But it just makes so much sense for them to, to just get it done and, and move forward and not have anyone with, you know, sore feelings this year or whatever. And, and the fan aspect of it. And I just think, you know, and I, you know, I know that Tony Romo recently said he thinks it'll get done. I, I just think all, all signs point to something happening in the next like week or, or two and uh, having it, it get done before they have to work. Start, and like, this, is, this is two sides. I mean, when you got Jerry Jones and Des Bryant in the mix for a contract, a contentious contract negotiation, you got to, I mean, you've got to expect blustery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's like they say, you know, uh, deadlines for action. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, that's what I'm hoping happens with, you know, the Russell Wilson situation as well. But I think it, as we get to a deadline, something, you know, that just puts more pressure on teams to uh, teams and players to just get it done. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, in Dallas, I mean, you know, you're not, surely they're not dumb, dumb enough to let Des Bryant walk away. I mean, that's not a running oh. back that you can replace as easily as, you know, maybe you can DeMarco Murray or whatever. But Yeah, he's like a top three player at a premium position entering his prime. And I think they have the space for it. You know, they didn't, they didn't sign DeMarco Murray for a reason. I imagine, you know, keep room open for Des. And so it just makes sense to get it done. Well, all right, last but not least, before we let everyone get out of here, um, we would be remiss if we did not 
um, find a way to angle in on one of the, the weirdest and biggest sports stories of the week. The whole DeAndre Jordan uh, Mavericks Clippers saga last night. They locked, they, uh, you know, barricaded themselves in his house and played spades and Xbox and stuff until, uh, until, uh, until Mark Cuban gave up driving. Apparently, as Chris Broussard uh, maybe falsely reported, <laughs> driving around in his SUV, you know, Beside frantically himself. texting. Yeah. That's a funny term, by the way. Yeah. That was beside himself. <laughs> But so I can just imagine. there was, you know, there was sort of a similar thing. I mean, not really totally similar, but you know, the Eagles had thought they'd signed Frank Gore and then Frank Gore did not sign with the Eagles. He signed with the Colts instead. But um, I, you know, I don't want to get into the what, what if stuff, but Steven was telling us a fucking hilarious story before this podcast started. And I think it would be awesome if you would share that story, Steven, because you've had a similar experience. Right. Well, you know, obviously I'm not as important as DeAndre Jordan, but it's just kind of one of those uh, 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 stories that is is just abounding with irony because, you know, I'm a young player in the league. I I start off on practice squad in, in 1996, and so then I get pulled up to the active roster, like, after the sixth game. Well, a couple weeks later, um, there were a lot of injuries at another position. I think it might have been defensive back. And so they need to cut, like, you know, the 53rd man on the roster so they could add another defensive back. And so on this occasion, they picked me. Well, little did I know, you know, that what they were planning on doing was, like, cut me on Friday, resign me on Monday. Well, little did I know, the Rams, for whatever reason, were interested in signing me, uh, uh, picking me up on waivers. And so what they were trying to do is kind of like <laughs> – you know, hide me on waivers just so they could uh, get that transaction through and get through the game with that extra defensive back and then re-sign me on Monday. But, you know, if the Rams would have picked me up, then, you know, they would have owned my rights, obviously. So <clears throat> the Bucks got wind of this, and they kind of called me into the office, and I didn't know what was going on. They wouldn't let me near a phone. <laughs> and so <laughs> the thing is, you know, the Rams want to talk to me or at least have my agent talk to me um, before they were going to, you know, pick me up on waivers to make sure I'll be, you know, I don't think that they care whether I really want to come or not, but they want to talk to me first and make sure that I knew that they were doing it. So the Bucks just kind of kept me away from the phone (laughs) the whole time. And then finally at the end, they were like, look, because, you know, after a while, of course, you're like, hey, man, something weird is going on. (laughs) What's going on? It's like, okay, you know, the Rams are trying to pick you up, and we don't really want to pick you up them to pick you up so we need you to not answer your phone and so this is like right around the time when dick vermil uh is, is catching hell because he's putting around through like three or eight practices during training camp you know he's old school and, and all the guys are complaining about it and going to the nflpa and filing complaints and shit so i'm like hell no i don't want to go <laughs> to the rams you know it, it's crazy and then you know three three years later in the Super Bowl. So <laughs> once again, it's just, you know, not that, you know, I, I'm not happy with my career with the Bucks, but it's just funny that, you know, I could have very easily been a Los Angeles Ram, I mean, a, a St. Louis Ram, and maybe a Super Bowl champion at this point. It's just, and it's funny too, because like everyone, you know, you, you watch free agency from the outside and you think about it. It's just like, oh, you know, they call their age, they offer contracts, and blah, blah, blah. The, 
it's just this methodical business sort of procedure. But they you still have this like level of you know hijinks almost that goes into <laughs> it like that. That you would keep a guy away from his phone and like all right, don't answer the phone for a few hours here so we can get this done or. Or, or, you know, let's hole up in this house like we're, you know, <laughs> keeping bandits away outside or whatever. It's just it's just kind of amusing. I I, I was really I was t- I couldn't I didn't I try to stay off Twitter at night, but I couldn't really put down my phone last night because that was one of, <laughs> yeah. one of the funniest things I've, I've seen in sports all summer. It was really fun to watch that unfold. I think everybody's just waiting on uh, uh, Mark Cuban to show up. And, and see, you know, what kind of showdown they were going to have yeah. at this man's house. But it, it didn't happen that way. But, I mean, it's just amazing to watch from the outside looking in that, you know, because we're hearing all these things about they won't let him, they won't let DeAndre Jordan talk to Mark Cuban. And, and you know, the, 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 the Clippers refused to leave until midnight when they could actually sign them. It was just a bunch of hijinks. And I mean, like the whole pot, they had like a literally a posse there. I mean, like a, you know, a Western type (laughs) posse there to make sure all this doesn't happen. It was, it was like Rio Bravo or something like that. It was just hilarious. It was, it was, it's just one of the funniest stories all summer. It was nice to have, (laughs) it's nice after the last couple summers of NFL coverage to have some levity in the news cycle a little bit. No doubt. But, uh. Well, guys, uh, it's been a good one. Where it's a, it's a, it's a nice Thursday. Let's get out there. I hope you enjoy your weekends. If you have leftover fireworks, try to please try to be careful with them. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, watch your writing hands, watch your typing fingers. Let's not lose any of those uh, in the in the firefights out there. Um, all right, dudes, take care, and we will reconvene next week. Sounds good. All right, take care, fellas.